Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to OBR Newswire Podcast, brought to you by our presenting sponsors here at Blue Wire Podcast Network. That's Bet Online. Talk about them every day. You're going to hear me talk about them one more time. Everything is working its way back, for good or bad. UFC, NASCAR, boxing, soccer matches, they're all working their way back. Opportunities are there at BetOnline.ag to bet on them. If you're more interested in the NFL and the NBA, they have simulations going all day. And it appears baseball is screwing the pooch, but the NBA will be back. Uh, it looks like late July. So you can get a head start on that. Also they have uh you know casino games, poker tournaments, prop bets to check out. All of it is there for your viewing pleasure and your gambling pleasure at betonline.ag. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE for your free welcome bonus. That's one word, B L U E W I R E. Get that welcome bonus. That's BetOnline your online wagering experts. We are going to dive right into this podcast because we have a lot to talk about or a little to talk about. I don't know. I text my good friend Stephen Thomas, who I'm welcoming into the show, and I said, hey, man, we're going to podcast tonight. I don't really know what we're going to talk about. Uh, we have an idea of something we might talk about. Maybe we do it. Maybe we don't. Listen, man, I'm welcoming you in, Stephen. You can, you can tell me. Um, you wrote about some the trade deadline in, here on the OBR recently. You can take the floor, man. What are you, what are you, uh, what are you talking about tonight? <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's... It's weird because this time of year, you know, as you know, as anyone who follows football knows, it's slow to begin with. But this year, it's, you know, I mean, we're the the bottom of the barrel has been scraped clean. We are through the barrel into and about two feet into the ground beneath the barrel. That's where we're going here. I mean, what what if here's my sports question that I pondered for like an hour today. If there was a wrestling battle royale between the cast of How I Met Your Mother and the cast of Cheers, who would win? That's that's how deep my head has gotten at this point. We really need to go outside again here soon because, well, and and you know what? I made some notes about it. So so let's talk about it. Uh, despite Sam Malone being a professional athlete and Carla Tortelli Lebeck being a professional killer. I still think How I Met Your Mother would win because the rest of the Cheers team, Woody's a farm boy, you know, mm-hmm. and so if you tick him off, he might do something, but he's too nice. Frazier's the nerdiest of nerds, and even if they kept it close, Norm and Cliff, I mean, Cliff would 100% run away. Norm wouldn't even show up. He'd be he'd be at Cheers happy there's nobody guarding the taps. I mean, come on. <laughs> and then the How I Met Your Mother cast, I mean, Sam's going to be distracted with Allison Hannigan doing weird stuff with musical instruments that we all know she can do, uh, which is good. Because Robin Scherbatsky, she's Canadian, okay? So they're not a warlike people, but they are hockey uh, folks. So she could pretty much kick anybody's ass. But she's also easily swayed. Sam would get in her eyes, and God knows what would happen. Uh, Barney's just awesome. Ted would be crying and hitting on Diane or Rebecca. But Marshall Erickson, come on. He used to do that wild, crazy wrestling with his brothers who were much bigger than him. So just having Marshall on your team. 
I got to give it, despite it, my love for Cheers, I got to give it to How I Met Your Mother. And let me just wrap this up by saying I am fully aware of how sad the last 90 seconds of my life have been. I got nothing. That was so well done that I can't even <laughs> add to it. I literally can't add to it. It was. Uh, it tells you, A, where we're at. It tells you the lack of ideas that we've come up with here. The OBR has, like you said, man, we have scratched as far as the itch can go without drawing blood. We're actually drawing blood. We might be getting down to the bone. <laughs> so I had actually implanted an idea in your mind about maybe doing the five worst losses the Browns have had in their in – their, we could stretch it as far back. I said in each of our lifetime. So um, – Right, uh, you know, and I, I have my list ready. Do you have do you, do you have yours? Do you want to do that? I do. Yeah. Okay. How do you want to do? It? You want to go uh, one by one? Just start at five and and then go to four and three each. Yeah. Let's just do let's it one by one. Right. So so I'll preface this by saying most of mine. Actually, I can't say most. I'll remove that word. All of mine come after 1999. I was born in 1989, so I do not have any of the. Uh, terrible 80s memories. I barely remember the Browns making the playoffs in, in uh, pre, you know, before they left 94. I, don't, I, I barely have that memory. Um, so I can't, I can't even with, with, a, you know, with, with an honest bone here say that I, I well, the worst game I remember, I've watched those games. I went back and watched them. Right. I just didn't live them. So I would like to, to kind of like where I come from. So there's there's my my top five, and again, yours are going to be different from mine because you live some of those terrible memories. I, I right. unfortunately did not. So my, my first one is the franchise return, September 12th, 1999. This is week one, 1999. They come oh, back. God. Everybody's pumped up, right? I'm, I'm 10 yep. years old at the time, okay? I'm like, holy shit, man, the freaking Browns are back. This is unbelievable. I actually didn't think I'd ever see it, and they're back. Here are the notes I have on the game. Pittsburgh 43 to nothing. I'm a 10-year-old thinking, holy shit, man. Like, I thought this was <laughs> going to be a little bit easier than this. Ty Detmer for the game, right? He th <laughs> These stats are hilarious. I'm sorry. This is, again, tied for fifth. I have one more. that this. I'm cheating a little, but that's okay. For the game, Pittsburgh goes for 464 total yards. And your guess on how many yards the Browns went for? Uh, I think it was under 100 because they only had one first down, right? It was 40. They went for 40 total yards, yeah. 52 yeah. Ty Detmer passing yards, six completions on 16 attempts. He actually lost 21 yards on three sacks, so they only threw for 30 yards. They had nine rushing yards, five total carries by their lead back, Terry Kirby, four turnovers. Tim Couch 0 for 3 with a pick. This unbelievable first game back in the league. The, the, I, could, I just couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine being there. Did you happen to come back and go to that one, or were you? I was there. I was yeah. there. There's actually there's a picture uh, from that night, and I always laugh about it because it's our section. It's my section of the dog pound. You can see my best friend uh, at the time right next to me. You can see everybody that I sat around. Guy two rows in front of us is holding up a giant dog bone, covering my face. I'm the <laughs> only person. <laughs> In my section that you can't see. I swear to you that is true. I can find it and tweet it to you uh, once this airs. But, yeah, if you remember, I, here's what I remember about that. Uh, like you said, we were fired up. I mean, you know, Drew Carey came out and, you know, every people making fun of Cleveland, you can shut up. The place was just ballistic. Steelers got the ball first. We stopped them on fourth and inches. And the place went bananas. Our first offensive play was, I, I'm almost positive it was a screen pass, but I know we got a first down. It was like 11 yards. And that was it. The rest of the game was an absolute nightmare. I remember in the middle of the third quarter, my friend, Mark Trucks was his name. He turned to me. He, he goes, 
I want my goddamn money back. <laughs> the thing is, how many times have we said that since? Anyway, those are great oh. notes. Just, just fantastic stuff. I just remember sitting on my couch, staying up for the game, a young kid, obviously, and just being like, "Well, this fucking sucks. Like, this is like, well, this oh. is this can't be, this can't be it." And that, so that one really always resonates with me. The second one that I have tied for fifth, just in games that didn't mean much at the time, um, and had more of a personal connection to me. So I didn't. We lived in, in just north of Columbus, so it was it was a haul up to Cleveland for us. And, and my dad drove truck all the time, so we didn't get an opportunity to go to very many games. Obviously mm-hmm. consumed as much as I could from my couch, but I think we went to a preseason game in like 2002. I believe it was Washington, and we hadn't been to a regular season game, so I was super excited. I'm in high school. It's 2005 now, and uh, we go up there. It's December 24th, 2005, Christmas, Christmas uh, gift I received from my family. And it's freezing cold. Pittsburgh wins 41 to nothing. My first real experience in the stadium. Right? And this is, this again, this is six years later. Here are the similarities. 457 Pittsburgh yards, 186 for Cleveland. Ben dominated the game just as young Ben could, avoiding sacks and, and holding on to the ball and all that shit. But Bettis and Willie Parker, Willie Parker had this 80-yard touchdown run right into my face and and uh, Charlie Fry had Fry, Charlie Fry took eight sacks on the day. So yeah, that was my first like. Oh, I I really think that that was when I said I I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Like, am I? Should I be doing this? Um. So yeah, you know, I didn't get to any of the 01, 02 when they started to really kind of pick it up a little bit. But you know, and then I go in 05, and it's just it, they came into the game like I don't know. I think Cleveland was. Two and nine, they or two and eight, they left it two and nine. It was a game that came in terrible and left terrible, but it's just like resonates with me. I'll never forget being so freaking cold and watching Pittsburgh just dominate the shit out of them. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Yeah, man. so yeah, you're you're up number five. Uh, I've actually got a quick honorable mention. Uh, it's oh, no, 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 save that, save that. We're gonna do honorable mentions at the end. I got, okay. I got a All slew right. of them. Okay, so all right. So uh, then my number five is the uh, playoff game against the Dolphins in '85. Everybody knows about the blown 21 to three lead uh, and all of that stuff. And they were eight and eight. And yes, they were the first eight and eight team. And you know, maybe they shouldn't have been there. Maybe they should. Yada yada yada. But here's here's what I remember about that. Yes, they had a 21 to three lead, and they blew, they blew it. And you know, Marino was Marino, and the Dolphins were the number one seed, and everything else. But there was like eight minutes, give or take, left, and they were still ahead. It was 21 to 17, and the Dolphins' defense was getting tired. They were running all over them. They had a third and two just inside Miami territory, like the 45-yard line or something like that. And Curtis Dickey ran the wrong play and got stopped. And had they continued that drive, you know, they were marching. They were they, it, it, they were getting ready to put it away. And then the worst part was they, they punted on fourth down. Uh, Miami fumbled it. And you remember a couple of years ago, the Duke Johnson game where he came out of the ball with the pile and they gave it to Washington anyway. Browns it. came out of the ball with the pile and they gave the Hold ball on to Miami. Hold on a second. They came out of the ball with the pile? They, yes, that's exactly what I meant to say. <laughs> they, they came out of the pile with the ball and they, they gave Miami the ball anyway. Now, you know, it's the Browns. God knows they could have found a way to screw it up anyway, but they would have had the ball in, already in field goal range. Uh, you know, maybe they could have punched it in for a touchdown. Who knows what would have happened? But that's what I remember most about that game. But this one only comes to five for many reasons. One reason is looking back, and this is hard to imagine people who have grown up in the Belichick and Brady era of the Patriots, but they would have played the Patriots the next week, and it would have been in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
back then they they had New England's number. For some reason, they always found a way to beat New England. So I firmly believe they would have beaten New England and gone to the Super Bowl. And then they would have had to play the 85 Bears. And they would have gotten absolutely mugged. <laughs> I, the the beating they put on the Patriots would have looked like child's play. I mean, it look, it look, like anybody who grew up in the 80s, I have a love for Bernie Kosar that will last until my dying breath. But let's be kind and say he was not exactly fleet of foot. No. So imagine that 85 Bears pass rush. And he wasn't Dan Bernie... Marino decision maker like no. that either. No, no and he wasn't. So no. it's probably a good thing that they didn't hold on and beat Marino because what would have happened would have been even worse. That's a great one. That's one I didn't even think you would name, and I tried to rack my brain about ones that you'd come up with. That's that's great. My number four is, um, and I, I didn't pick just popular games by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one that everybody probably remembers. September 8th, 2002, the, the home opener, season opener. Do you remember what this was? Uh, was this? Uh, the, no, 2000. 2002 was um, uh, Dwayne Rudd. Dwayne Rudd, 40 to 39. Yeah. I remember this game vividly, and how how mad my dad was at the television. I, I, I was like kind of, kind of afraid. So yeah, it's a 40 to 39 season opening loss, right? They, they played well. Kelly Holcomb, 27 for 39, oh, 326 yards, three touchdowns. Kevin Johnson threw a 33 yard touchdown, Kansas city, some names from blast from the past four priest Holmes touchdowns. That guy was outstanding for a stretch there. And um, yes. it sucked for Dwayne Rudd, right? So, Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne Rudd, that's a tongue twister, thinks the game is over. Um, sack has been made on Trent Green. He flicks it off to, to Tate, right? What John Tate, I think he flipped it off to. Yep. John Tate yep. takes off down the tackle, side. Tackle, yeah. And actually an amazing run, to be honest, and yep. gets uh, some yards. And, and I found a Dwayne Rudd quote after this, because there's a lot of good, good write-ups on this whole thing. He said, I thought he was down. Um, alluding to Trent Green, their quarterback in Kansas City. When I tackled him, he rolled over on my face mask. I looked up and saw triple zeros on the clock, thought the game was over, but I didn't get the chance to look behind me and see the game was over. He launches his helmet, as we all remember, giving 15 more yards and another name from the past. Morton Anderson kicks a field goal to mm-hmm. win it. Um, it's really it's unfortunate because that's how we all remember Dwayne Rudd. He actually played well. He had eight tackles, two tackles for loss. Coming off yeah, the yeah, year solid. before when he signed with Cleveland, he had 101 tackles in 2001. And I mean, the guy was really talented. He's a first round pick out of Alabama, the 20th pick in the '98 draft. He was an All Pro in '98. So uh, yeah, that's how the guy gets remembered, and that's how his team. I mean, people were calling for him to be cut the next day and all that stuff. I'll, I'll never forget that game. And like, and obviously the Browns go on to win. Um, you know, nine games and make the playoffs. And I checked; they still they still wouldn't have made uh, been able to get a home game had they won that game. But but still, it's like there's this home opener curse, right? That that they only have what one home opener win in their since the return the Baltimore 05 game 04 05. Is there a stat since the return that's good? Is there a stat that's good? That's no. everybody says. Oh, here's a terrible stat for the Browns. I go, well, they're all terrible they're for all God's terrible. sake. <laughs> they really are. But, yeah. I I remember. Though that time my wife and I, we weren't married yet, and um, I had been telling her, the Browns will find a way. If there's a way to lose, they will find a way. If there's not, they'll invent one. And I remember her sitting there watching that game. There's two, that one and the kick six were both where she just looked at me and went, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> and Because I remember I turned to her and I said, I got to admit, losing a game after it's already over, that's a new one. I, I, <laughs> they've done it again. They've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never I can't I can never forget that game and it sticks out to me more than 
Bottlegate and even the game before Bottlegate where they were screwed out of another situation. I can't remember. They were screwed by the officials in, in Denver or something out of another situation where they reviewed something or they, they deemed that the Browns couldn't review it because the play had been uh, – anyway, this just – it always like in the, in the, in the, the realm of those like – Early two thousands to mid two thousands screw jobs. That Dwayne Red game will always have a have a memory for me for some reason. Infamy, my friend, a day that will live in infamy. My number four, uh, and you know, if you grew up in the eighties, three of your worst losses are obvious. It's just the order that you put them in. This is my number four is Red Right eighty eight. Um, it was my first year. I was ten years old. It was the first year of, of really getting into it. I was always a Browns fan. Watched games with my dad and everything, but. They hadn't been to the playoffs since since I was two years old. Like since any kind of memory, I, Brown's memory was in my head. They were had been terrible. They had not. So this was not only was it exciting because they were in the playoffs, but it, it, anybody who was there remembers it was. I mean, the cardiac kids was a a, a a real thing every week. It seemed like the last fifteen seconds, it was just heart stopping. It, it was crazy, and they always found a way. Um, and so it just looked like, Hey, we're doing it again. This is obvious. This has been happening all year. Here's what's going to happen. And then, you know, uh, as, as everybody knows, throw it into Lake Erie, Brian, and he didn't. And, you know, uh, Cockroft has said on Twitter, you know, I've, I've made that kick in my head 3000 times since that day. I've, I've never missed it. I've never <laughs> missed that kick in my head. Um, he had missed, uh, he had missed a couple of field goals and, uh, and an extra point already. So there was no guarantee, but it, it was still a better play. I, I remember, I remember crying at the end of that game, partly because they lost and it was so heartbreaking, but also partly cause I was scared. Uh, my dad and my uncles were like prison riot level, angry cursing and, and running. And I had never seen them like that before. I mean, they just lost it and it was kind of scary um but that that's my number four red right 88 another day in the browns 80s lore that just you know un until they win it the, none of these wounds are going to completely heal yeah I, I think that as a little kid those are the things that that stick out i just remember, I just remember thinking that the browns bring out a side of my dad that i've never seen before <laughs> and I, was like, <laughs> I could not imagine have being have been with him in 80 in the mid 80s when all the the real suffering and and happened and Obviously, Red Right '88 is the early '80s and a part of things. So, um, back to back to the modern era with me here. So these next two are not games that were oh so memorable, but if you lived them, I just remember these were games that really pissed me off in terms of like I actually felt like a fan of a football team that had something they were playing for, which was so rare from from this since the return. There's so few seasons, right. so you can guess the two seasons, but it's just like these were games where I was like, God damn, those are games that I really wish they would have won. The first one's December 23rd, 2007. Browns come into the game 9-5. and five. Um, Bengals come in 6-8, yeah. and eight, week 16. And um, the Browns had won earlier in the season against Cincinnati 51-45, a shootout, and they had to win this game. They played a terrible San Francisco team to close out the year. They were going to win that one. They had to win this game to make the playoffs. They all knew it. Everybody knew it. They, the, the odds were that the teams they were competing with were going to win their football games too, and uh, this one hurt. It hurt. I remember it really like Awful. I was in my senior year of, of – uh, of, of high school and I just very vividly remember this one like really hurt I mean the Bengals Carson Palmer only throws for 118 yards they get and he throws two picks they allowed Kenny Watson yeah Kenny Watson to have 130 rushing yards and a touchdown 
So, I mean, Derek Anderson throws four interceptions. They lose 19-14. to They go on to beat San Francisco, but go 10-6, and don't make the playoffs. And it's because of the home loss two days before Christmas to the Bengals that uh, I will never forget that game. And just, just uh, four turnovers, four interceptions that really cost them. And, uh, yeah. And it was two weeks before yeah. that that they had lost to Arizona on the, uh, you know, it's kind of tough to talk about Kellen Winslow, but it was it was back when yep. Kellen Winslow was a warrior for the Browns. He got pushed out, and that was before the, uh, um, the or was or right. was that rule still in place that you you had to have a chance to come down, or had they gotten rid of that? I can't remember. It was all around that time, but they were driving right, and he got, he got pushed yeah. out or some shit like that. But yeah, though that season, it all had come together, but they blew it when it mattered the most. Yeah, uh, it was. I, as soon as you said uh, the date, I knew because it was just it was such a letdown because you knew. And then we had to root for Jim Sorge uh-huh. the next week, uh-huh. um, and I remember sitting there saying to myself, "Okay, Peyton and um, uh, uh, Marvin Harrison are going to play one series. If there's any chance, they have to score a touchdown on that. They have to." And they marched right down the field, and then they got in the red zone, and something stupid happened. I can't remember exactly what it was. Somebody fumbled or there was a bad call something like that and they didn't score and i remember saying that's it that, that that's it. it it's over and you know the colts hung for a while but anyway um i, I my next two my three and my two are sort of intertwined mm-hmm. so they're going to be basically one entry here um and i think everybody knows what they are it's the drive and the fumble uh the drive always comes in just behind the fumble for me so the drive would be my third worst and the fumble uh, would be my second worst. And here's why. I'm not going to go over the game itself. Everybody, we've lived that t- way too many times mm-hmm. uh, in Cleveland. Here's why the drive comes in behind me. It's because I think they had a much better chance to beat Washington than they did to beat the Giants. It's it's hard to describe to anyone who wasn't around there, but there was a run of teams in the mid-'80s, and the Giants were one of them. There was just simply no way they were going to lose. It was over. The Bears, the um, the Giants, and then two years later, or three years later, the Niners, when they went 15-1, and one, it was just, unless the starting quarterback goes down, there's no way these teams are going to lose. They, they would not have beaten the Giants. Mm-hmm. The, there's just no way. They were at, I mean, Lawrence Taylor was at his peak, you know? I mean, there was no way they were going to win that team. And everybody remembers the next year. I mean, yeah, they put a whooping. On Denver, uh, everybody remembers Doug Williams and Timmy Smith in the 35-point second quarter. Everybody knows all that stuff. But what a lot of people don't realize is those Denver teams back then speak to how unbelievable John Elway was in his prime. They were basically Elway and Mirrors for the most part. They they really weren't Super Bowl-quality teams outside of him. He elevated them which you know, so good, um, and especially in clutch moments. So I, basically, the reason the drive is number three and the fumble is number two, and other people might have different words, but for me, I, I'm not saying they definitely would have beaten Washington, but they had a much better chance against them than they did against the Giants. And I thought that going in. So this isn't a hindsight thing either. So that's my number three and my number two. I know I kind of went out of order there, but we can kick it back to you, and you can do two and one, and... And uh, take the order back, Your Honor, Your Honor. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to find and make sure I say the right thing for this one. So yeah, 2014, December 7, 2014. Browns are at the time 
Um, everybody remembers the the beating they put on Cincinnati on um, was it Sunday night or Monday night football. I think it was Sunday night football, right? Or maybe it was Thursday night. It might have been Thursday it night. Thursday. Football. It was Thursday. I think it was Thursday, right? So then they they lose to the Texans the week after. End up beating Atlanta in Atlanta. Josh Gordon comes back, right? They go seven and four. They they lose at Buffalo to a good Buffalo team. Ends up going nine and seven, and then they host the Colts and Andrew Luck. And this is the game that I just remember thinking. This is not going to work the rest of the way because the rest of their schedule was brutal, and um, it, you could see it starting to fall apart. Right. Started in Buffalo and it continued here, and um, they. So this one is probably now. This is 2014, so I'm like really an adult at this point, cognizant of all of their <laughs> history. Like you know, I mean, like, as best I can be in 2014, but like just just kind of understanding everything as it. An older, you know, a person. I'd, I've been done playing football myself, and just like seeing the schedule, I just remember being really kicked in the gut at this one because the Colts, who ended up going eleven and five, they were eight and four when they came in. Browns were seven and five, like I said, or seven and four, and um, they lose twenty five twenty four. And I think the writing is on the wall. This is the game the Hoyer was really bad. Fans started to mount pressure. Um, right. He goes 13 of 30 for 136, two terrible interceptions. They're up 21-20 midway through the third quarter. Uh, I think that there were like 11 minutes. It got under it got under double-digit minutes, and they were up 21-20 and uh, give up two touchdowns. And the last touchdown was with 32 seconds to T.Y. Hilton uh, to give to give Indy the lead by a point. And, um, yeah, man, that was it from there because the next week they – Forced Manziel in for a thirty to nothing home loss to Cincinnati, and it was literally been downhill for the entire franchise up to twenty eighteen. At that point, it was just a downhill slide. So that that one for me, as like sort of a full on adult understanding, like what the freaking heck are these guys doing? Situation um, that one will always resonate with me. So that's my number two. And uh, yeah, do you, anything to add to that uh, massacre? Uh, not to that one. I just, I remember you talked about the, uh, the Bengals win that ever got everybody excited. I was actually flying, uh, to Africa that night to join, wow. to join a ship. And I had an eight hour layover in the Madrid airport overnight. And I was watching, uh, the scores. I couldn't even, you know, get the game at that time on my computer. I'm literally all by myself. I was the only person in the, uh, terminal where I was, for about six of those hours, and that's where I followed that uh, that Thursday night beatdown of the Bengals. So that was it. That's the last happy memory I think uh, that we have. <laughs> like you said, it's it, it's been kind of a a, a giant poo poo sandwich since then. Yeah, I mean the Browns haven't really been like out in front, like seven and four, really out in front of the win column. Even though they've had wins the last two years, they haven't been out in front of the win column nope. like that. So that was a rare time and. You could see the writing on the wall was happening, and it was it was just depressing to see it happen because you knew. I just remember thinking like, I think that was the first time as as I, I fully thought like the Browns are going to really find a way to lose this game. Like they're just going to find a way to lose it, and they did. And um, that leads me to number one, which should be for any post ninety nine team is the is the is the uh, wild card game two thousand three January fifth two thousand three. Mm. They had uh, some background on this. They had lost to the Steelers. Twice in the regular season, uh, overtime in week four, 16 to 13, they lose 23 to 20 in week nine, and then they lose by three points again. So imagine that losing three by three points to your division rival three times in, in one regular season. So, um, yeah, they lose at 20, 36 33. 
They're up 24-7 with 12 minutes left in the third. They're up 24-7 with 12 minutes left in the third. <laughs> Steelers scored 22 fourth quarter points. They take the lead 54 seconds. I remember being young, uh, 13, 14 years old, and uh, I just remember I hated Chris Fuamatu Maafala. If you remember that name, he scored to take the lead, right? And um, you know, everybody remembers the North Cut drop that happened on a really great throw. As Holcomb was good, man, 26 of 43, threw for 429 and three yep. scores. And um, then the, the North Cut drop sucks because he played his butt off that day. He was six for 92 and a couple touchdowns. And interesting other note thing is, is it seems like Pittsburgh has just always had good run defense, like forever, for like forever. William Green ran the ball 25 times for 30 yards. Yeah. Think about that. 20, 25 times for 30 yards. That's how committed to the run teams were in that, in that era. It's like, hey, man, we're like 18 for 20. We probably we probably, want, probably, probably don't want to run here on first down. What do you, what do you say, Butch? Like, I mean, like what, are you, what are you doing at that point, man? I'm like, 25 carries for 30 yards. But, yeah, that, that is the one gut punch game that I just, uh, as, as a youngster, I – that's the only playoff football I've ever known. I mean, I didn't get to live the 80s. I didn't really right. get to live and understand the 90s. I, I understand one NFL football playoff game, and that was it. And I wish I was older to have really appreciated it, but at least I, you know, at least I can remember it. I can remember where I was and, and all that. But, yeah, that is, that is the toughest loss I've seen the Browns endure since their return. And it's a sad state of existence, but it is the one that sticks out to me the most. Yeah, and it was, I mean, there was so much about that game uh, that you could just kind of see it coming. You know, I mean, they the, the reason they had to throw the ball to Northcutt, because um, they had no running game. You know, you, yeah. you, you're trying to run out the clock. You want to try to keep the ball on the ground. I mean, I mean at least back then, that was the, the thought. And, uh, you know, I, I remember, and I could be getting it uh, jumbled in my head, but I remember... Uh, two times that they uh, in the late third or maybe the early fourth that they were down uh, within scoring distance and had to sell for field goals and when when they kicked one to go from 30 to 21 to 33 to 21 if I'm not mistaken and I remember I turned to my uh, I was watching with my dad and I said that's going to cost them they needed to get up by more than two scores right there and he went yep because you know like you said you hadn't lived through it we had lived through it we had watched the the snatching defeat from the jaws of victory so many times. It's just, it's in Cleveland fans DNA. You just 31 teams, their fans in the middle of the fourth quarter, start figuring out what they have to do to win. Well, we've got to do this before five minutes and we got to do that before three minutes. Browns fans about midway through the third quarter start going, all right, here's how they're going to fuck this up. And we're mostly right. That's, that's the sad part because we can, we've seen it. We've read this book before. It's, it's insane how many times it happened. I remember watching Northcutt drop that ball and thinking, that's it. There's no way the defense comes through. No, absolutely no. no chance. They had no I, chance. I, I just wonder if that feeling or when that feeling or, or the date at which that feeling goes away. And, like, if we'll all collectively look at ourselves and be like, it's gone. We don't when they hoist the Lombardi. Yeah. That's yeah. it. It's, it's, it's like it's just an overwhelming feeling. And I, I've told this story, I think, on this podcast. Not this one, but the other film breakdown podcast before it I think I went in 2016 they uh McCown was a quarterback and and they they jumped out 20 20 to nothing on Baltimore early they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah they threw they threw three eh, Coleman caught a deep touchdown and and uh they 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 had the block of the extra point this is the first quarter obviously late yep. first quarter blocked extra point and Baltimore turns it's 20 to 2 and I, I I just looked at my guy my friend next to me I said hey man 
they're going to lose. And this is yep. this is going to be a part of why they lose. And it is. It just it was. It was just like a matter of just waiting <laughs> to get just waiting to get to that inevitable outcome it's so weird and it's it's like you know like baker and miles and nick these guys come from an odell they come from winning like they come right. from winning they know Culture. how to win and it's like that you get to cleveland and there's this unwritten stigma i don't know if it's like a feeling in the stadium or it's like a collective feeling from the fans that gets passed on to players because it, it it crosses over players like players come Absolutely. and go it's just the weirdest thing, and it's like you can't put it into words. You kids, it's not a, it's not something that you can touch. It's just like, I don't know. It's the strangest thing, and and I'll 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 run off my other honorable mentions, and then you can add to any that you have. But it's just it's it's indescribable unless you're committed to watching this team and you have done so for a while. That that feeling that will just like Murphy's Law is is just yeah. it's ingrained in the DNA of the franchise for some reason. It is there and. It has not been able to be shaken off. So my honorable mentions. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I will, I I will say this, uh, and I still have to put out uh, my number one. Um, but oh shoot, I'm uh, sorry. I, yeah, I will say this. We, we were talking about when it will go away, and I said I think it will be when they win. I, in the mid '90s, the early to mid '90s, I was on the radio uh, there in Columbus, and I don't know if people remember. He may still be there. I'm not sure. There was a morning guy named Bob Simpson. And uh, I was on a station with him, and he was a, we were friends, and he was a Steelers fan. He was a Pittsburgh guy. And I, I remember we had this conversation once, and I said that. I said, as soon as they win, you know, all this is going to go away. And he said, don't count on it, because he grew up a Steelers fan back in the 50s and 60s when they were the laughing stock. And he told me, I'll never forget, he said, even after they had won four in six years, I still wait for them to screw it up every single week. It never goes away if it's ingrained <laughs> in you at a young age like that. So I, I hope it goes away. Um, I mean, when the Cavs won that title, I felt like, I literally felt like cinder blocks had been lifted off of my chest as a Cleveland sports fan, but there's still rocks there that are the Browns, yeah. you know, so I hope it goes away, but I don't know if it will. I don't know if it ever will. I would like to find out. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that what I was going to say. It should be nice. <laughs> It'd be cool to figure that out for ourselves and not secondhand someday. But yeah, go my, with your number one. My number one loss, and you know I like to sort of twist these things around. It's not actually a game. My number one loss that I can remember uh, was Bernie Kosar's elbow injury in 1988. Mm. Uh, because, and I have said this on other pods, I've said this in print and on Twitter numerous times over the years, the 1988 team, I firmly believe, was the best, most complete team of that era. Of all those teams that made it to the AFC Championship game, the 88 team had the most firepower on offense. It had the best, most well-rounded defense. Because you look at it, they went through Bernie, Gary Danielson, Mike Pagel, and then they signed the corpse of Don Strzok. Don Strzok was retired. They literally signed him off the couch week 12 of the season and he led them to the playoffs and almost won the wild card game for them they were 10 and 6 and probably should have won that game against the oilers uh, in the uh, in the wild card game and if they were that good with basically me at quarterback a healthy kosar in the height of his prime i think that could have been the year because the niners won it that year but they weren't the 15 and 1 juggernaut unstoppable niners that was the year they beat the bengals 20 to 16 in that great fourth quarter of a super bowl uh, everybody says it was a great super bowl it was boring as hell for three quarters and then the fourth <laughs> quarter was awesome 
but they were beatable. They were good, obviously. I mean, you know, it was Joe Walsh, uh, uh, Joe Walsh, Joe Montana, Bill Walsh. It was all those guys, but they were beatable. They were only 10 and six in the regular season. And I firmly have believed since that day that if Bernie Kosar had not gotten injured in 1988, that team very well could have been the one that knocked all this Cleveland crap that we've been talking about off of our mantle. And we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Who knows what the last 30 years of history would have been. That's my number one loss in the history, aside from the team moving, obviously, in the history of my being a Browns fan was his right elbow in week one of 1988. So, okay, why on earth, having not watched this game back or didn't live it, they score in the fourth quarter, and it's the last score of the fourth quarter. Webster Slaughter catches a two-yard pass from people. Mm -hmm. Why did they kick the extra point to go down by one? There what was the no two-point conversion. What the hell? When did that become a thing? Uh, Mid-90s, I believe, was when they put it. I'm trying to remember exactly, but there was no two-point conversion what at that time. What the hell? I had no idea. That, yep. That, what? <laughs> what? That's why they lost. Yeah. Well, that and a few other things. I guess but, every uh, day we learn something new. I feel like a genuine idiot. I had no clue that the two-point conversion was not a thing forever. No, wow. two-point conversion was a college-only thing until, I want to say the mid-90s, but I could be wrong on that. I don't remember uh, exactly when it came. Early 90s, maybe, but it wasn't It wasn't around then. It was not around then. The one thing, obscure thing I remember about that game, uh, they lost by a point, and in the third quarter, I believe, it might have been the early fourth quarter, they were in field goal range, and I hate to bang on Ernest Biner because, you know, he's been tortured forever because of the fumble unjustly because I mean, the guy was a warrior for us for so many years. But uncharacteristically, he got back-to-back 15-yard penalties uh, and knocked them out of field goal range. And they ended up being losing by one in that game. So it, it, there's just so much about that 88 season that it's so frustrating to look because it was right it was the height of everything they were the offensive line hadn't started to age yet uh burning had three years under his belt he was at the height of his powers uh you know every the defense was well-rounded and solid the corners hadn't started to age everything was set up perfectly for them for that year and then he hyperextends in week one and they just never really got any momentum going for the entire year I, I'm I'm sorry, man. I am on tilt about not knowing that two point conversion thing. I, <laughs> people in my life have failed me. I don't, how do I not know that? That is crazy. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Good, good, good reference for number one. You you taught me a lot of things I did not know there. Um, I, I want to say it was 1994, but I could be wrong on that. I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Um, jeez, man. Okay. Well, listeners, I hope maybe some of you knew that. I hope, I could be just an absolute idiot, which is is, is top of the list of probabilities there. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make reference to that when we list this podcast. Uh, okay, so my honorable mentions. Ready? Um, no particular order, just games that came to mind. The block kick walk off was tough to leave out. I, I just I was just like, what am I? I was never closer to just being done with it. Like I just it was so embarrassing, and it's just like it was on national TV because it was the year. <laughs> it was the year after the year after the 2014 season. So they got some, some right. primetime games. I think it was a Thursday night game, I believe. And, um, God, man, I was just, I was just really pissed. Like, like how, how do you let that happen? I just, I was really irate. Um, week 17 of 2017, they're driving. Sean Kaiser scrambles left, throws the football to Corey Coleman. It bounces off of his hands. Oh yeah. And, uh, a very famous drop that I was just so annoyed that they could end up going 0 and 16, culmination of all the Hugh Jackson experiences there. Um, 
Raiders and Saints in 2018, the Saints game was just like, what on earth is going on? You carry over the stigma from week one where they miss a kick to beat Pittsburgh, and then they miss multiple kicks. They throw this miraculous touchdown to tie or, you know, come close. I can't remember at this point, but it was just like that game was, I remember being just extremely frustrated that they lost that football game. And then the Raiders that same year, right, where it appears Carlos Hyde has a first down. I don't know how on earth they reversed oh, it, God. But, they, yeah. but, they, but they reversed it, and they end up losing that in overtime. And then um, as recent as it gets was just the letdown of week one this past year, just uh, just feeling like this team was going to be really good and then getting gut-punched. Um, should have probably expected that, but nonetheless, that one was just a loss that really pissed me off. So yeah, that's my honorable mentions. What do you got? My three, actually two of them are, are from uh, post-return. Only one of them is uh, before uh, to my 2017 against the Packers, which was, if not the week before, two weeks before uh, the one that you just mentioned against mm. the Steelers uh, when they were ahead. What were we, what were we up, like 20, 20 to 10 or yeah. something ridiculous? Brett just, Hundley. Just, just Brett less Hundley. than two touchdowns we were yeah. up or something like that and blew that one because – that was it. That was the last chance, you know, yeah. that they that they had. And I had made that stupid bet, had to shave my head and eat a bunch of Brussels sprouts because of Hugh freaking Jackson. I'll never forgive him for making me eat Brussels sprouts for a year. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. They are the devil's testicles. I hate them so We've much. We've had this argument. I love them. So send uh, all of your rejected uh, Brussels sprouts my way. And I don't eat many oh. vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one for me is actually the year before the Cody Parkey game against the Dolphins. Mm. Um, and people like to make, I mean, he's become lore for several franchises, but they blame it on him. Guys, they signed him like four hours before the game. I mean, the first time he met his snapper and his holder was at pregame warmups. And then they asked him to kick and it wasn't a chip shot. It was what, like 46 yards or something. It was, it was a, it was a chunk of a kick to win the game at the end there. And, uh, and, and of course he, he doinks it and they ended up going one fifteen, but that one hurt because I, I really thought they should have won that. But my number one honorable mention just off the list, and probably because it's the only one that, you know, the rest of them were playoff games, was the uh, the Ahmad Rashad Hail Mary game uh, in uh, 1980, the Cardiac Kids year, because, um, like I said, it was so exciting. that entire and, and that one, what you want to talk about being frustrating, they were ahead 23-9 to heading into the fourth quarter. The, the Vikings scored a touchdown, missed the extra point. So with... Just over two minutes left. The Browns are ahead by eight. And as you just learned, there was no two-point conversion. So that's a two-possession game. Just over two minutes. They're ahead 23 to 15. They have the ball. And the Vikings are out of timeouts. And they still lost. They, they found a way to lose that game. For some reason, Retigliano calls a pass play. And, it, it, and it's an interception. Vikings go down score. They got the ball on their own 20 with 14 seconds left, ran a hook and ladder for like 45 yards or something like that before Tommy Kramer heaved it up and Ahmad Rashad. I mean, there was just the odds of them losing that game had to be 99 and a half percent. I mean, it had to be. There's no way they lost it. And I'll never forget it because we were at my grandparents' house uh, in Cleveland and my dad and my uncle Ken at that time, you had to stand up and turn off the television, old guy alert. You had to go up to a knob and stand there. And my uncle was standing there with his hand on the knob at the end of the game going, all right, well, we'll watch this. And then, we, you know, we got dinner and blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget, my dad went, did he catch that effing thing? 
And then they sat down and just we just stared at the replay for like 10 minutes. There was no way they lost that game. I'll never forget that one as long as I live because uh, it was just, it was a an absolute punch in the face. It was the first time in my lifetime that I ever had ever seen anything like that happen. Little did I know it was the first of a really long book of the Cleveland Browns blowing games that they should win. I um I, I referenced earlier the the Browns. We neither <laughs> of us worth noting here that neither of us mentioned Bottlegate. Um, no. Is is that the Browns had played somebody the week before when they played? I said Denver. It was Chicago that they played the week before, and Chicago scored two touchdowns in the final right. thirty-three seconds to beat them. There was some issue that happened with instant replay where the Browns tried to go back like a play or something where that it worked against the Browns to do exactly what the Jaguars did the next week. It was something like that. I'll have to go right. back and figure this out. If someone's listening to this and remembers, because I remember when I put it on Twitter, um, it was maybe a year ago, something about Bottlegate or something of that nature. Someone said, well, remember the Bears game the, the week before where blah, blah, blah happened? Either like they wouldn't let the Browns challenge a play. It was something they messed up. Like they had messed it up. But yeah, that game, which is interesting that neither of us mentioned that, that's that was a really freaking bizarre football game. Um, yeah, share, share with us here at the OBR. Respond. We're going to post this um you know we're gonna post this podcast with with uh, i think it'll be about 45 minutes or so and that's okay i, I it, this is a fun conversation as, as bad as it is it's sort of like <laughs> torturing ourselves but it's always a good conversation to hear what impacted other people let us know yours let us know uh anything we missed or maybe we've screwed up or you know it's all in the realm of possibility but i had fun doing this steve i appreciate you man yeah thanks for having me on it was uh it's nice you know, Browns fans get this. It's nice to have somebody around who gets it. When we have our own little bitch session, just us, we can laugh at it. When other teams' fans make fun of us, then we get pissed off. But when it's just us, we just shake our heads and go, God, why do we do this to ourselves? And so this is this is a nice reminder, a little bitch session to get it all out here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's our therapy session in a weird sort of twisted way. You know, <laughs> my pleasure, buddy. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Leave us a review if you can, and let us know again on Twitter if we missed any, like the uh, um, the the Bears Browns 2001 game where they lost on a hail mary and all that all that terrible stuff. So, okay, thanks for joining us again, guys. Till we talk next time, go Browns.